This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. How are you doing this morning? Like one person in the front's doing good. I'm glad for that person. So good to be with you. Uh, last Sunday, I, I took a, a Sunday off, took my wife uh, to the mountains where it snowed. It was 20 degrees the whole day. Didn't even leave the cabin. It was a great, restful trip. And then on Wednesday, I flew down to uh, Honduras to be with our team, who's been uh, there, had, had flown the day before, and I preached Wednesday night, just a phenomenal service at a church, and got to really help plan what's going to be next several of our missions endeavors while we're there. They're, they're going to come back um, after this weekend. I'm, they fly back tomorrow, pray for them as they travel. Uh, it's been remarkable. It just has. Um, one, uh, one of the ladies in the middle of our trip, just looked over to me after kind of something that had happened. We'll share that probably at some point. And said, I, I just don't know how you cannot believe in God. It's, it's, it's just profound things are happening with them. Um, I'm excited about what's happening here. Uh, next Sunday, it's a very special Sunday for us at, at Vortex. We call it Vision Sunday. You know, I, I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time on Sundays talking about, um, dishonestly, about church or about church vision or, you know, that kind of stuff. We, we really, we, we're going to bring the word. We're going to talk to you about uh, stuff that's applicable and practical for your life. But every once in a while, I do love to kind of take a break and really give you some insight into the vision that's been working and is working behind the scenes. And that's what Vision Sunday allows us to do. That's next Sunday. Don't miss it. Be here. Now, the series that we're in, Stronger Foundations, is anchored in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's recorded also in the Gospel of Luke, but we're really kind of zeroing in on the Gospel of Matthew here. And Jesus ends that message by telling this parable. All right, so look at this. This is what we've been focused on. Everyone who hears these words of mine, all right, so he'd been preaching, okay? He'd been telling everybody this is what you need to do. And he says, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a giant or a great crash. Now, it's important just to, to get your, your optics on this. Jesus is really painting a story about how we build our lives and what foundation our lives are built on. And last September, you might even not even know this, but we started this series really last September. We, we celebrated 10 years as a church, and, which is awesome. It's a great milestone. But I began to pray about it and ask God, what does the next 10 years look like? And, and we started this last September and shared a few messages. And one of those, we're simply, the foundation matters. 
the foundation. What your life is built on matters. Build it on the sand or you can build it on the rock. And it seems like a small decision, doesn't it? Seems like, I, you know, I mean, couldn't they both work out? Then that seemed like it's just, but it, but it is. It's a big deal. And so last fall in one of those messages I actually told you small dis- disciplines build a stronger foundation. A lot of times we're looking for the big things. We want to be faithful in the big things. We want to find the big, and it's really the small decisions. The small things in life. That's why we start the year with 28 days of prayer and fasting. Why? Because you start saying, I always say no to that, but for 28 days I'm going to say, or I always say yes, but I'm going to say no. So I'm going to start cultivating a discipline of fasting and praying. And it might seem like a small thing, but there's some really big things in that from God. You'll hear this around, and Jesus taught this several times. You've got to be faithful with the small things. We want to be faithful with the big things, right? We, we, we've had some, got one in here right now, but some college basketball players, right? And you, 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 want, you want to take the big shot at the end of the game to win, right? Be faithful with the big thing. But really, you've got to be faithful with the small things. You've got to be faithful with the practice and the going through the drills and hitting the shots when nobody's looking. That's what leads to the big things. And as we started this series... Actually, I kind of opened it by bringing this idea, which is a big idea for us. I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be yet. If you think about your life and you look back over your life, I'm not where I used to be. I've grown. I've changed. God's brought me through some things, but I'm not where I want to be. I've got a vision for what my life could look like beyond where I am. So how do we get there? How do we get where we're not? We follow Jesus. It's not just try harder. It's not get new strategies. It's not read better books. It's we follow Jesus. And this parable that Jesus tells reminds us that we don't just follow Jesus when it's good times, right? We, we love to, to talk about Jesus when things are good. and You know, oh, I just thank God you, you, you gave me a really large, we're about to get in that tax return season. Look at that tax return, whatever it is. I got, a, I got a check for this. I got a new job for that. My kids didn't get in trouble this week at school. But Jesus makes it real clear. We need to follow him through the storms. We all go through storms. And last weekend, uh, Pastor John preached and he shared this simple idea that a stronger serve leads to a stronger foundation. Far too many of us think our lives will be better. They'll be stronger when I take care of my needs. And that's not at all congruent with the teachings of Jesus. Jesus says, no, you've got to learn how to serve other people. Lay your life down. If you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to give your life up for my sake, then you'll find it. And one of the things that Jesus quotes in this is Matthew 5, 16. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light shine before men 
so that they will see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. It's an important idea because some of us have this non-biblical idea that my faith is private. I don't talk about it. I don't share it. It's just something me and Jesus, we have this over here. But if the words of Jesus are true, then no, that's not how it works. Let your light shine before men so that all people will see your good deeds and praise your Father who's in heaven. So today I want to go back. So notice Jesus at the end of this, he's actually saying, if you put these words of mine into practice, right? And that's obviously that's for all the, the comprehensive canon of God's word, but it is locally in the context of that message, the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to go back and review some things that were said very early in this message. It begins late in Matthew 5. begins with the Beatitudes and then a lot of, I, you think this, but I tell you this. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And this is another, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Beginning in verse 43. Let's read this. Look at this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may, notice that phrase, that if you will do that, you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors do it? I just got to stop here so I can explain this. How important what Jesus is doing here. Every culture has an identity of like, this is the worst people, okay? We're in um, Honduras working with, you know, the people who are serving these very impoverished, struggling communities. And for them, you'll hear them talk about the gangs, MS-13. The worst people. The worst people for a Jew in the first century were tax collectors. And Jesus is saying, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the worst people in our culture doing that? And if you greet only, look at this phrase, your own people. If you Welcome them, say hi to them, encourage them. What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Let me make some observations from this text real quick. Number one, God loves everyone, and we should too. That seems so basic, seems so easy. But for most of us, there's a person, a type of person, a socioeconomic group that we hate. Jesus is overt. Don't hate your enemies. No, instead, love them. But notice what he said in that text. He said that if you'll do that, then you will be children of your Father. 
The implied inverse is true as well. If you refuse love, you're not acting like children of your heavenly Father. I was studying for this message and I ran across, across a quote by George Washington Carver. I don't know if you know who George Washington Carver was. You learned about him in elementary school. He's the guy who learned how to do 8,756 things with peanuts. He was a professor at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, one of the first opportunities for higher ed that a young African-American student would have in the United States. He's a brilliant mind. One award after award after award. Some of the first times that an African-American worldwide was inducted into all these high honors societies for scientists. It was George Washington Carver. It wasn't just peanuts. If you're a farmer in here and the, this idea that we rotate crops so that the soil's not depleted, that's George Washington Carver. Relentless, brilliant, but also profound believer in Jesus Christ. He tells the story of coming to faith when he was a kid. He didn't really even know it was a white kid that lived not too far from him. And he was going to go to Sunday school. And he said, well, what's Sunday school? And he began to tell him. And as he was really sharing what Sunday school was, he was communicating the gospel. Carver got down on his knees, began to pray and receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. And his life was profoundly changed. He went to the head of the Tuskegee Institute and said, hey, I, I'd love to teach a Bible class on Sunday morning for our students. So he did. A guy who never saw conflict between his faith and his science. And one of the students wrote down something that he said in just simply a Bible study. It became later published as this student went on to write a memoir of the things that he had learned. And this was later quoted and used by Dr. Martin Luther King in one of his most famous sermons. Carver said, fear is something is at the root of hate for others. And hate within will eventually destroy the hater. Keep your thoughts free from hate, and you need have no fear from those who hate you. You see, the thing about hate is hate is always deeply connected to fear. I hate them because I'm afraid they're going to do what they did again to me. I hate that kind of people because I'm afraid that they're all just like this one person that I knew. 
And the Bible is really clear. 1 John 4, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears, pay attention to that, is not made perfect in love. It is not congruent within our hearts to hate someone and say we love Jesus. John explains this just a few verses earlier. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. No excuses. God loves you. He laid down his life to love you, to, to serve your greatest needs. The only response is for us to love others the same way. God loves everyone. We should too. But I want you to see this too. Number two, we will all go through good times and challenging times. I did not say that we would go through good times and bad times. I don't think there's a such thing as a bad time. The Bible says that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It might be challenging. It might not be easy. But in the middle of all of that is a good gift from God somewhere. We'll go through good times and challenging times. That's really one of the most obvious lessons from the parable of the wise and foolish builders. You've got rain and storms and wind and all of this happening to those who did it right and those who didn't. It's going to rain. This is what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. It's going to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what you see from this parable, this is so important, don't miss this, is what life looks like after the storm is determined by what's done before the storm. You can't get in the middle of the storm and start saying, hey, let's go build a foundation. It's just not time. The conditions are not conducive to that. So what's Jesus getting here in Matthew 5? What's he getting at? What do we need to build before the storm I want you to see this. You need relationships with people that are not your own people. You need some relationships, some, some deep, loving, caring, intimate relationships with people that are not your own people. We all have our own people. People who look like us, vote like us, talk like us, like the same talk shows, like the same news channels that we like, who have the same opinions and perspectives, the same preferences. They vote for the same political candidates. We all have our own people. 
And we need relationships with people that are not our own people. Why? Because what happens when everyone in our life looks like us? We think everyone is like us. You know how many times leading an organization, I've had people come up to me and go, hey, everybody feels this way. No, they don't. Let me rephrase what you just said. Everybody you talk to feels this way. That's not everybody. It's your sampling. It's your tribe. It's your echo chamber. This is what sociologists call it now, the echo chamber effect. That we now, in modern culture, live in an echo chamber. You get on social media and you start liking things that you agree with. You want to know what happens? You start seeing more things that you like and agree with. Until you get to a point where you think everybody's like this. Everybody thinks this. Everybody believes this. But they don't. And I said this at a funeral of a friend who passed away just a few weeks ago. And it bears being repeated right now. Our lives are richer when they're filled with people who are different than us. Our lives are richer when our lives are filled with people who are different than us. They're more complicated. It's not as easy. There's conversations that have to be had. There's going to be misunderstandings. Not as easy, but richer. There's a depth to that. And what we call that is redemptive community. Every person in this room already has a community. Your community might be your friends and your family. It's the people that you talk to. And I've said this before, and it bears being said in this moment. We are stronger together. We need people in our lives, don't we? I think that's what Jesus is pointing to in this moment. Especially if you think about the parable he tells at the end of the, the message. See, a storm will demonstrate our need for other people, perhaps unlike anything else in our lives. We want people to pray with and laugh with and sit down and have dinner with, but man, you hit a tough season in life when you just need somebody to be there for you. That'll show you. This happened to me a little over a year and a half ago. Hurt my lower back. You know, nothing's going to let you know you're getting older than you hurt your lower back. You want to know what I did to hurt my lower back? I bent over and picked up a raisin. That's it. I picked up a raisin off the floor. I'd worked out pretty hard a couple days before. It's literally been a year and a half of getting my back back to even some kind of decent shape after that. So at the same time, we'd sold our house before the pandemic and moved into a rental house because we hadn't found a house we liked. And then our Landlord came to us and said, you're going to have to move out because we're going to do something different with the house. And I'm like, what? what in the world? My back's hurt. I've never moved. 
when I couldn't help. But I couldn't help. And I had friends that came and worked until they were drenched in sweat. Just to help us get into the house that we live in now. It's a blessing. And I'll say this honestly. I remember that. It'll come across my mind about every couple weeks. It's not unusual for me to text somebody and just go, hey, thank you. I just can't help. You know, I, I can't get over the fact that people showed up like they did. You know, the thing about a storm is you can't build a community while you're in the storm. We think, oh, I can, I'll reach out to them later. I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll. But you get in the middle of the storm, you don't know it's, you're in the storm. You're the one that's trying to battle through the winds and the wind. You don't have time to build. You don't have energy, emotional energy. You don't have the bandwidth. If you look at the emerging church in Acts chapter 2, what you see is that this church got this. They got redemptive community. And you might say, well, I don't get what that is. Listen, I'm not talking about you just need some friends. You just need somebody to come over, sit down, have a glass of wine with you. I'm talking about something that's bigger. Some of our friends are the reasons we struggle. Some of our families are the reasons we struggle. We need new relationships. And you see this kind, this redemptive community emerging in the early church in Acts chapter 2. We're just going to read through it. I'm going to make a few observations and then we'll be done. Look at this. This is the merging church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Next verse. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. And every day, now notice the frequency of this. Every day, they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And because of all that, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As we wrap this up, I'm going to make three observations from this text. The first one's real simple. But we say it a lot behind the scenes. Number one, life change happens in the context of relationships. I was listening to our team when we were in Honduras tell their stories. Stories of how maybe they were rebellious when they were kids but how God got a hold of their lives. And if you ever listen to those stories, you're always going to hear that there's a person that God used. 
Well, it was these people. We were at work and they had a Bible study at lunch and they became my friends and they loved me and they encouraged me and they taught me the word of God. If you think about the best parts of the story of your life, it normally involves somebody, right? There's a relationship. It works both ways. If you think about the worst things in your life, there's probably also a relationship that's there too. Life change happens in the context of the relationships. You'll notice in the text there's a dual devotion. There's a, a devotion to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which meant <clears throat> they went to church to learn. They, di they didn't show up just to, like, I'm punching my time card. I'm checking it off for the week. I'm getting in there. God's got to be pleased with me. They went there. Like, whatever you guys are teaching, if you're te we're going to take our notes home. We're going to go over it. We're going to watch to listen to the podcast. We're going to watch it on the Roku app. We're going to get back into the Word. We're going to ask all the questions that come. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and then to fellowship. We're going to be together. If you pay attention to believers, we often polarize on one of those. We're like, I'm, I'm, I'm the growing Christian. I know all the Bible verses. Or I'm the fellowship Christian. Like I'm the one that hangs out with everybody and we have a good time. They were both. They were both. It wasn't on one or the other. It was we're both. We're devoted. We're going to learn the Bible. We're going to grow spiritually but we're going to live in fellowship. Hebrews 10 says this. Look at this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. This is so simple, but we, we miss this. God uses people to motivate and encourage us. And you're not going to get that from people if you're not with people. If you're not in relationship with people, if you're not getting around the right people, and the truth is some of y'all are getting encouraged and motivated to do the wrong things because you're around the wrong people. But God will use that. It's okay. Let's just say it this way. It is absolutely biblical to have a hype friend, you know? You just need somebody you call and like, hey, I'm about to go into a meeting. I know God called me to do this. Can you just hype me up? And they're like, listen, you got this. God's going to speak through you. It's going to be good. And, the, and you need some people like that. But you don't have people like that if you aren't with people. This thing that we're doing in this room is not just about knowing the Bible. I don't care how many facts you know. If you're not living them out. And we live them out in relationships. Life change happens in the context of relationships. Number two, God uses his people. Did you notice this? God uses his people to meet our needs. Last year, February, I came home from Honduras and said, listen, we need a water system at our care point. Cost $2,000. We can do that as a church, but I feel like God wants somebody in this room to do it. Within four hours, we raised $15,000. 
put a care, water system in a care point, at our care point, put a study center with computers and internet, put water systems in three other care points. God used you guys to meet the need. They've been praying about it for months. And God used you guys to do that. But God will use people to meet your needs. Did you notice what it said? They sold property and possessions to give to those who were within their community that were in need. They're in need. It's like, I love, I love you so much and I see that you're struggling financially. We bought this piece of property, but listen, I can do without. I would rather not have that property than see you struggle. Galatians 6, verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to keep bringing this verse up over and over and over again until you're sick of it. Because there's too many of us in this room that suck at this. I mean, we are just not good at it. We're the kind of, I will be there for you. I will pray for you. But we are not willing to open up and say, I need your help. This works both ways. You carry other people's burdens, they carry yours. And unless you're doing that, you notice what the verse said? You're not fulfilling the law of Christ. So when you're resisting being vulnerable and saying, I need help, I need you to pray for me. We're struggling in our marriage. I'm struggling emotionally. When you're, you don't wanna, you're actually pushing against the law of Christ. Now, some of y'all are going, how do I find these kinds of friends? I need, some, I need some friends like that. My friends are not like that. Okay, one of the, you're going to find them in a space like this. Too often we go looking for friends in the wrong places, okay? But let me just make this simple. How do I find these kind of, be that kind of friend? Show up for people. Pray for people. Encourage people. Don't do that because you're trying to do that so manipulatively they'll do it back to you. Be that kind of friend because that's the kind of friendship that you're going to live in. This is how I'm going to, and you want to know what will happen? You'll build a different foundation for friendships. But I want to make this point as we wrap up. Number three, a foundation of redemptive community will get you through the storm. We're all going to go through storms. And storms elevate the need that we have for people. We need people. We need community. I can't do this on my own. I'm stronger together. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says that when people are weeping and we're in community with them, we should weep too. I don't just look at them and go, man, I'm so sorry. I'm moved by what moves them. When they mourn, I might not be mourning on my own, but I will mourn with you. And it also says that we're supposed to celebrate together. Some of us will get into this room and we'll look across the room and see somebody raising their hands, tears flowing down their face in the middle of worship, and we'll get a little critical. What are, what are they doing that for? What's going on in their life? I want you to understand, if you love somebody, 
and you see somebody start to worship God and celebrate God, what you do is you look at them and you go, I don't know what God did for them, but it's the same God that I worship. I have a biblical mandate to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate with them. We're not the same. We don't have the same stories, but we have the same God. And in those moments, the God that comforted me will comfort you. And the God that has delivered you, he can deliver me. It's only in redemptive community do we find that kind of foundation. So I want to go back through this. What did the early church do to build community? Look at this, real simple. They studied the teachings of their church leaders. Okay? It says that early on. Devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Look at this next one. They devoted themselves to fellowship. All right? Not only growing deeper in the Lord and learning the facts and learning the Bible studies, but walking it out in relationships and fellowship. They cared for each other. They saw the needs. I will meet the needs in your life. I have the means to do that. And you don't need to think, if I don't have money, I can't do that. The greatest need we have is sometimes just compassion and somebody to pray with us. It doesn't cost you anything financially to pull that off for somebody else. They encouraged one another to be in church. Did you notice that? Every day they went to the temple. Hey, come on. Come to church with me. I want to sit with you. Let's go together. Hey, I didn't see you at temple yesterday. Where are you going? We're going together tomorrow. Well, I'm not feeling real good. You want to know what? I'll carry you. I don't care what it takes. I'll get you there. They encourage one another to be in church. Let's not give up on meeting together as some have done. That's what Hebrews said. And then they met together at home to eat and pray. Some of y'all might be wondering, why do we do small groups at home? You might have grown up with Sunday school where everybody comes to the church. Listen, this is the model in Acts chapter 2. If everybody's at the church all the time, you don't ever get to practice hospitality. You don't ever get to be vulnerable in your surroundings. This is the model from the beginning. They welcome people in. Listen, I know the floors aren't swept and the laundry's not done, but y'all come over. We'll have a meal together. We'll spend some time together. And what happened because of that? God did miracles in their midst. God did some mighty thing. What did it say in the text? It said that at the very beginning that they were all in awe of what was happening. The power of God was on display. And at the very end, it says God is adding daily those who are being saved. This is why you need to be in a small group. This is why. Because that's what happens in a small group. We need that kind of friend. We need that kind of community. There's a storm coming in our life. Today, as you walk out, you're going to get a list of some of the small groups that are starting for this fall. I want you to pray about it. There's a QR code on there. You can get into a small group. Love to have that for you. You can find friends in those spaces. You need that. You need it because there's a storm that's coming for your life. I was reminded of a commercial I saw when I was a kid. As I was preparing for this, it was a, a young man. He was in a wheelchair, obviously paralyzed. He couldn't walk. 
And the commercial began by describing an automobile accident that he had been in. And he's walking through what had happened as the accident unfolded. And dramatically, it stopped and it zoomed in on him. And he said, in the middle of the accident, I reached for the seatbelt. But it was too late. It was too late. When will you build the community that will carry through you through your next storm? When will you do that? When will you build the community that will carry you through the next storm that's coming for your life? Here's the simple truth. You're building it right now. Right now, the decisions you're making, the way you're living, you're building that community. And the sad truth is that for some of us, the coming storm is actually going to come because of the community we're building. Because the friends around us aren't the friends that we need. So what do we do? We surrender it to God. God, I've tried to build this my own way. It was a lot more work to dig down to bedrock. Especially in the middle of the summer. The sand in Israel around that place is a lot like our clay. It gets hard in the summer. It's a lot more work. Surrender. God, I'll do the work. I'll do the work in my own heart. I'll do the work in the kind of friend that I am. God, I'll, I'll surrender to you. Choose obedience. Stop trying to argue with God and tell him how it's supposed to be. And I would do this if it were like this. And I would, no, surrender. And then he'll build it as you obey. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.